And I think the next step then is to shift from kind of this mindset of doing less harm to how do we actually go after a positive impact on people on the planet. Welcome to Mindful Businesses, presented by Sarani, and I'm your host, Vidya Ayer. In our podcast, we bring to you brands which are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business adopts and employs sustainable social, economic, and environmental practices. Today, we have with us Meg Stoneburner Asim, Director of Sustainability and Sourcing at Outernoon sustainably made for people and planet. Welcome, Meg. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I was watching Patriot Act, um, the series hosted by Hassan Minaj on Netflix, and he had some astonishing statistics about the textile industry. He mentioned that in 2015, textile production created more greenhouse gases than international flights and maritime shipping put together. That's a huge number. Yes, um, I would say that the industry has a very significant impact. And I think we're still kind of doing the research and collecting the data to understand just exactly um, what that looks like. But with the research that we have, we know it's significant. We know it's one of the um, largest industries in terms of causing pollution. I wouldn't say it's the largest. There's some kind of back and forth with that, um, but it is definitely one of the most significant industries. And I think the complexity of this industry lies in the fact that most brands um, only have visibility into a few of their suppliers. And I think what the industry is now challenged with is identifying all of the suppliers from how the garment is constructed, the materials in which are used in the garment and how those are created, and then all the way back to the fibers that make those materials and understanding the impact areas of each of those steps um, when it comes to natural resources, as well as then the people who are actually involved in the creation. So it's really identifying the entire process, which the industry is up against. Who started Outernown and what was the motivation behind starting this company? So it was started by Kelly Slater, who is a world-renowned surfer. And really, I think it was started to kind of take a step back and say, why am I kind of supporting these different sponsorships? So he had grown up in an industry where multiple brands were sponsoring him throughout his career. And it served a purpose. But when he started to actually look into how are clothes made, where are they made and started asking questions, he realized that he was kind of pushed away and almost told not to ask questions. So he started to then do some of his own research and realized that there was a huge problem within this industry of apparel and that if he wanted to do something about it, he was going to have to actually walk away from some of his sponsorships and start something of his own to then help create a signal to the industry that but apparel can be made where it not only causes less harm, but where you think about net positive impact. So we featured Mud Jeans, the leader in circular denim, and Outer Known also is striving to achieve circular design in its products. How are Outer Bones materials sustainable and circular? So the brand is really founded with this foundation of 
social responsibility. So we have a fair labor program in place. And I kind of want to touch on this before I get to the actual material portions, because I think it's really important and laying a foundation for any brand. So we're FLA accredited, became accredited in just two and a half years, and then are also supporters of fair trade. So we have three fair trade certified factories and around 20% of our products are fair trade certified. So it's really important to make sure that we are considering worker well-being, worker safety, and just the livelihoods of these workers in our factories to make sure that they were protected. And then we started to build upon that to say then, not only are we protecting workers, but we need to protect the natural resources required to make our garments. So with that, we started integrating organic materials, more recycled materials. And by 2018, over 90% of our fibers were made from preferred fibers. So that being once again, organic, so organic cotton, recycled synthetics, and then other regenerative materials. And I think the next step then is to shift from kind of this mindset of doing less harm to how do we actually go after a positive impact on people on the planet. So it's thinking about more of a circular model. Um, so how do we actually take waste and turn that into something that's then valued as an asset or an input to a new material? So we're starting to look at materials, recycled materials from recycled cotton and new innovations around chemical and mechanical recycling. We're looking at advanced materials that are recycled synthetics using actual garments that have been tossed, breaking them down and turning them into new fibers. So there's a slew of different fibers that we're looking at. And then we can't just focus on circular and safe materials. Um, we also need to look at end of life of these materials and how do we actually participate and support in the collection of defective and damaged garments. So is blue sign, is that part of the design part that you're explaining to us right now or is that something else yes so blue sign is a part of our um, kind of supply chain overall supply chain strategy as well as our safe and circular materials so blue sign is a systems approach at looking at how chemistry is managed and handled within the supply chain. So if you think about dyeing and finishing of the garments, as well as any wet processing inputs, it's to say what chemicals are actually used. How do we eliminate some of the most toxic and hazardous chemicals so they're never actually used in the first place? Um, and then for some of the chemicals that are deemed as safe, how do we actually manage them properly so when they're disposed of, we're not polluting either people or the planet. To tie the both parts of what you just told us, one talks about the actual materials, picking up preferred materials, picking up recycled materials. And the second part talks about the chemicals which go in to make the materials. And Outer Known tries to uh, have least impact on the environment and people with these choices. Exactly. I think that most people just when they think about a circular economy, they just think about taking waste and turning it into something new, which is definitely one of the core principles. But we have to make sure that that waste that we're collecting is actually safe to recycle and to continue to circulate. So there's still a ton of innovation that needs to unfold in order to do so, which is a huge kind of portion of our strategy is how do we actually identify these new innovations 
where through chemical or mechanical processing, we can remove these harmful additives and then use these materials almost as if they're virgin Mm -hmm. to then be inputs into new materials. And that's a huge component that the industry is focused on, but has kind of lagged behind because of the very slow advancements within technology. So would you be able to elaborate what are the preferred materials? Um, First, the broad spectrum of products that OuterKnown offers, and what are the preferred materials in some of these leading products that you have? Yeah, of course. So 99% of our cotton is organic, meaning it's grown at cotton farms where pesticides, herbicides, and insecticides have been eliminated, which is really important to protect soil health. And soil is kind of one of the um, foundational elements for this planet to be regenerative. So organic is very important to us in terms of growing and using organic cotton. It's used in a significant amount of our garments. I would say that the vast majority are 100% organic cotton um, fabrications. And the reason why is because it's easier than to recycle as well as then the hand is so beautiful in some of these fabrications that we're offering. Another kind of category that I would say we're extremely proud of in terms of quality, durability, fit, size, and then sustainability would be our C genes. And that stands for social environmental accountability. So these genes were really designed into using a system sustainability lens or mindset. So in the creation of the materials, 98% of the denim is cotton rich. So using organic cotton. And the reason why is because if you look at the vast majority of genes in the market, they're infused with synthetic materials. So blended with polyester, spandex, and it's very hard to then recycle those garments because of the process of Um, melting down the actual synthetics or separating them out. So the brand chose to use a significant amount of cotton so it could be recycled and then looked at using a partner, Cytex, who is probably the world's leading denim manufacturer. Their Blue Sign Systems approved, um, they're fair trade certified, they recycle 99% of their water. They're based in Vietnam, which is really important in terms of water scarcity for them. Um, They use renewable energy. They're just an incredible partner. And it was really important for us when we were actually designing into denim to find the perfect partner. And if it wasn't kind of in the cards, essentially, we wouldn't have created the line. So I'm really proud of our seed genes. um, And not only for the use of preferred materials and thinking about safe chemistry and protecting workers, but also because we created a guaranteed for life program, where essentially, if your denim is worn or torn through, you can send them back to the brand, we'll help to repair them or replace them and properly recycle the garment. Around 2 billion pairs of blue jeans are sold every year. And that's why it is so important to be sustainable in making this everyday item. Outernoon is partnering with Levi Strauss and is making jeans with cottonized hemp um, and traditionally indigo making techniques. What is cottonized hemp? And what difference does it make to the environmental impacts and the ultimate final product? Does it change what your denim jeans looks like or does it just make it stronger? For Levi's, this is kind of a innovation that they're supporting. What I can speak to in terms of how Levi's and Outer Known have collaborated is essentially around taking these kind of core key preferred fibers and putting them to use in terms of 
creating new products that are circular. So not just materials, but thinking about the entire products. So WellThread was a collaboration with Outer Known and Levi's where we didn't just look at the actual fabrication of the blue jeans, but we also looked at all of the trims. And that's something that Outer Known has carried through and Levi's is working on as well. And I think that another thing that was kind of a key takeaway for both brands is how durable hemp is Mm -hmm. and how sustainable it uses very little pesticides in terms, I should say, pesticides and water, which is very important in terms of growing. And what's really great about hemp is that it grows so quickly. So it's renewable. And with that being stated, if it's durable, it's easy to grow, uses less resources than cotton. um, How can we start incorporating it into more of our garments? And that's something that both Levi's and Outer Known has been working on. And I should say for Outer Known, beyond cotton, so cotton is definitely our largest or the most significant fiber that we use, but second in place is hemp. And it's because of its durability. I think that to your point, you know, this industry sells a ton of garments, um, especially denim per year. And we want to make sure that we're not selling denim that's trendy. We want to make sure that we're selling denim that's timeless and that's a staple within your wardrobe. And then therefore that lasts, that there's longevity and that it endures through your day-to-day life. So it's really important to consider durability and kind of circling back to hemp. It's, you know, kind of a challenge for the industry and for all brands to use and incorporate more hemp into our different fabrications and products. The hemp is what bamboo floors did to wood floors. Bamboo also grows pretty fast and it it grows back far easily. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that what can be misconstrued is that when you'll see essentially a bamboo material um, within apparel, we have to be really careful because although the material is renewable, it's a man-made cellulosic. So therefore it has to go through processing in order to turn it into a fiber. And typically that processing can be really toxic and harmful. And there are certain man-made cellulosics that are actually sustainable and really great in terms of using very minimal water. The chemistry is safe for it's a circular and closed loop processing. Lensing is one of those suppliers that creates Tencel, um, their version of Model and Viscose that is far superior in the industry than most because they are so sustainable. But I think that we have to be wary as an industry that when we see some of these new materials, natural materials that are processed into fibers, we need to make sure that the actual creation and processing of the material is safe and doesn't cause harm to people and planet. Talk about the natural and traditional indigo making techniques as against the indigo made with chemicals. So I think the biggest thing here is that for the past few decades, we've been using synthetic indigos, which can be extremely toxic, especially hard in processing and managing kind of this area of the supply chain. And I think what the biggest challenge is for the industry is to find a way to use more natural indigos that actually perform as well as the synthetic to make sure that they adhere to the garment and that we don't have issues with color fastening or fading um, where it essentially rubs off as well as in having the ability to access natural indigo at such large quantities. So there have been a few technologies that the industry has promoted as well as then launched But I think right now it's to see what's actually scalable and what's feasible go forward. So this is something that we're looking into, but we don't have the exact answer 
um, as of right now. So we have started exploring outside of indigo, some natural dyes that we could use for denim that don't actually reach that blue hue. But if we could offer a different khaki color using ground up walnuts, and there's a slew of different options using some of these natural inputs. Um, but once again, you're not arriving at that blue hue that we all love um, and kind of know as our blue jeans. So we have a bit of work to do as an industry, but I think that once again, there are some advancements. It's just making these scalable and usable for all. And what you're emphasizing now by what you just said is it's a journey. You cannot wake up one morning and create this completely sustainable circular design garment. And as you grow, you learn and you change and you uh, adopt more mindful practices. What is the meaning of rain-fed crops? Uh, that's the first time I had read because I'm a assuming all water is in some form, uh, you know, fallen from the skies. <laughs> yes, um, that's really important, especially in growing cotton, because cotton is such a thirsty crop. It's actually rain fed crops, um, especially when it comes to cotton, because that's probably the fiber that's um, grown the most if you look at natural fibers. But it essentially is where the crops are then watered using rainwater. Um, and the vast majority of crops in agriculture in general is actually watered through irrigation. So it's through pulling water through river basins and different waterways, as well as then underground through wells in order to then be able to nurture and grow these different crops. That being said, um, we're pulling a vast majority of our drinking water, which is critical. It's a basic human right for survival of our species. So with using water to irrigate and essentially grow our crops, we're potentially then causing an issue of water scarcity in most of these areas where agriculture is a predominant industry. So switching gears from cotton to your other products, which are made out of echinil, which is recycled fishing nets are made into fabric and you use it for what products? So we launched it in our trunks and outerwear and now only use it in our outerwear for multiple reasons, but it just seems to be such a great durable fiber, but it fits and suits best in our outerwear product. And I should say that Aconel is a great circular material in the sense that you're actually pulling um, old fishing nets as an example. So waste that was sitting at the bottom of the ocean, pulling that out and then breaking it down and turning it into a new fiber. But it's comprised of multiple post-consumer waste items, such as carpets, different kitchen appliances, believe it or not, that can be broken down. So it's regenerative materials, but they're all blended together in terms of making this new virgin-like material. How important do you think is the large-scale production and economies of scale important to enable the manufacture of sustainable products? Because you can't make like 100 meters of it. You need to make it in the tens of thousands for it to be economically viable. How important do you think is economies of scales in making a product that is sustainable? I think it's a huge part of this equation that we need to solve for. And it's, as you were stating earlier, it's a part of this journey as we grow and learn more. And as technology evolves, 
um, we're understanding new capabilities. I think that collection of fishing nets is still a very large opportunity. You would be shocked at the number of fishing nets that sit at the bottom of the ocean floor. You would be shocked at the amount of carpet and different fabrications that are nylon-based that are tossed to landfill um, every second. So with that being stated, there still is a huge opportunity to continue to grow Akino, but I think then the next step um, or kind of cycle in this journey is then to say, how do we look at other waste streams to incorporate additional materials to make it viable and usable for large companies such as H&M, Gap Inc., um, some of these major Brands. So with that being stated, I mean, the huge opportunity lies in post-consumer waste apparel. It's probably one of the largest and most significant um, waste streams in our current culture, I should say, meaning that with, with just the onset of fast fashion across multiple brands, I mean, it's an industry issue that we are purchasing more garments. They last um, not as long as some of the high quality materials that we're used to in the past. So then we are essentially getting rid of them after five to seven wears. And then with that, purchasing more. So it's this vicious cycle that is never ending. So I think it's, once again, it comes to this cultural shift that we're creating more and more waste. And there's so much volume then that's being sent to landfill that could be utilized to make new materials. And I think it's the responsibility of this industry, brands, suppliers, all partners involved to figure out how we collect those items and make sure that they're of use for future garments. And I think it's also really important to note that at a certain point in time, it will become a priority in the sense that we won't have another choice because as the effects of climate change start to grow stronger and stronger with natural disasters, we're going to see more floods, we're going to see more droughts. The cost of these crops that we're so reliant and dependent on are going to skyrocket and therefore the cost of our garments are going to skyrocket. So it's going to be a huge responsibility for this industry to help to push and fast track some of this innovation to make sure that we have the capabilities to recycle these garments. Otherwise, it's going to be really costly for the consumer down the road. One of the sad side effects of fast fashion is the minimum order quantities that most of the factories required. A friend of mine has a brand and what he was telling me is that though his product is featured in all the major department stores, many small boutiques, the whole range on Zappos, and he said he's still not profitable because of the minimum order quantities that he's required. And what happens then, he sells it on sale and a $100 item is there for $35. And like, oh, yeah, I can buy that. We end up buying more because there is surplus. So how do you think these large volumes contribute to opposite of what you want us to do, right? Do you want us to buy less? But it is tempting as a consumer to find something which is 50%, 70% off. How do you think these minimum order quantities contribute to people buying more pieces of garments? I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head where it's like multiple factors. It's not one specific thing that has resulted into this shift that we've seen in the last 20 years, promoting fast fashion, promoting such terrible habits for consumers. And it's not the consumer's fault. Once again, it's the industry. It's kind of our own problem that we've created. But it doesn't just sit with minimums. It doesn't just sit with promotions. It sits across all of it. And I think to address the minimums, it's how do we actually advance and evolve 
manufacturing of garments. I think if you look at the last 50 plus years, the processing of a garment in terms of creation, so from cotton farm or fiber material creation all the way through cut sew, has been pretty much the same. So we have to actually evolve the industry and make some shifts and changes, some significant systems changes um, to be able to make garments at a quantity that's actually feasible for both the brand and the consumer. So you can test a garment or a style to say that you create 50 and that if it does well, you'll sell out and order more versus having to then purchase 100 to potentially 5,000, depending on the brand supplier's minimum. And then I think with promotions, I think it's really important for brands. And I think we're sitting in a time where it's you're seeing sales screamed in every direction. It's definitely kind of the culture in which we've built Black Friday and these holiday sales. But what Adonim is trying to do and is trying to say is we're, we're offering a promotion, but it's a limited promotion. We only put things on sale twice a year. And we do it where things are reasonably priced, um, not half off to drive sales, but really it's to offer and invite new customers to our brand. We are more expensive than most brands. And we do that as a choice to use preferred materials for all the reasons that we've discussed for durability, to protect natural resources, to partner with suppliers who are kind of on the same path. And with all of that, it's extra cost. And we're asking the customer to essentially come along on this journey and pay more, buy fewer things that you use more. Um, But we recognize that that's not, you know, available for all people. So with that being said, we do kind of offer promotions where we can invite the customers in to try our garments and it's a little bit more affordable for them. So I I do think that once again, kind of back to the original question that we're at this point where we need to create and redefine new habits within the industry and within consumerism to change the thought process and the mindset that we have to have something new every season and actually value the garments that we have and pass those down from generation to generation or find ways to offer them a second life through passing it to friends or potentially even recycling. How did Outer Known get its name? It was started really to kind of challenge and get the customer to ask, well, what is that? And why Why Outer Known? Exactly the question that you're asking. And Outer Known is sim- simply about finding your own Outer Known. So it's finding kind of your mission in this world and pushing the boundaries and exploration and, um, you know, really trying to seek something new and doing that while enjoying this beautiful planet and, I think it's about our brand journey of pushing the boundaries, finding our outer known, as well as then challenging our customers to say, how can you push your own boundaries, push your own limits, um, whether that's through hiking and appreciating nature around you um, and your work to do things in a better way, using more of a systems approach. So I think it's a really beautiful concept as it's, spiritual philosophical and it sits with not only those internally within our within our brand but once again within our customer i was going through outer known's website and i've interestingly found a pdf a list of all your suppliers like in detail with your 
names, addresses, everything. Two questions. How important is that for your mission? And second, aren't you afraid that somebody else who wants to do exactly what you do, another brand, will just find all your suppliers, you have, they have all their work done, and they just go and sort of ruin it for you, <laughs> for all the groundwork you've done? I think transparency is a very important topic to discuss. Um, and it goes back to kind of our opening statements that this industry was built on kind of siloed efforts. So we need to have visibility into our entire supply chain to build better strategic partnerships, to know exactly the impact areas of all of our materials, um, and to make sure that workers are protected. So it's really important for us. We've done a phenomenal job of tracing back and then disclosing tier one, which is cut. So once again, in tier two, so our material suppliers, but we need to go even further all the way back to the cotton farms and to the polyester fiber manufacturers. So it's a work in progress. Once again, it's all about a journey, but I think that it's important to share this information so customers trust us and realize that we're doing the due diligence to properly vet these suppliers and to say that these aren't just customers um, of ours or vice versa. We're not just customers of these suppliers, but we're actually partners. We innovate, we create together, um, we inspire each other, we treat each other as equals, and that's really important in this work. A lot of innovation within this industry stems from the supply chain. And I don't think that these suppliers get enough credit for that. And when it comes to being nervous about exposing this information, I mean, we welcome people to look at our sites and look at our suppliers. We want people to come to these suppliers and to grow their business because we just think that they essentially are some of the best in the industry. And with that being said, I mean, we want to work with different brands and we have great relationships with the Reformation team, Mara Hoffman, Prana. I mean, multiple brands out there. Patagonia is another where we do share new materials. We discuss suppliers. We kind of lean on to each other for, um, for different insights into some of this work. And I think that that's extremely valuable. And I think that that needs to happen more so in this industry, because we can then creatively problem solve some of these large issues that we are all against. And it's not about who can get to the finish line first. It's about how many of us can actually finish or cross that finish line altogether. Thank you, Meg Stoner, Azim, for the work that you do to create a transparent and a sustainable fashion brand for the people and for the planet. Thank you so much for having me. It's um, a complete honor and it's a pleasure getting time to chat and speak with you. Thank you for being mindful. If you're a creator of a mindful brand or would like to recommend a mindful brand to be featured on our show, send us a message on our Facebook or Instagram page. We recorded this podcast at Q1067 Lafayette, Indiana. Thank you to Jim Stone, who not only lends the studio for these recordings, but is a constant mentor and ally. Thank you once again, Jim. Tatum Gale composed the music for this podcast. This is Mindful Businesses with Vidya Ayer.